I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. And this week, we are talking with Coach Peter Scales, who has a new book out. Before I jump into that, though, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of my background with Peter. He had reached out to me when his book was published uh, back in the summer, I guess, uh, about meeting up and and doing a podcast. And as you can see, it's taken a while to, to actually make that happen. But Peter and I emailed back and forth quite a bit and wound up actually meeting in person at the WTCA conference during the 2019 US Open and sitting down and having a really nice conversation about his work with high school tennis, his role as a PhD in psychology, and how he brings all of his education and knowledge to the court when he's working with the high school kids that he coaches. And I thought, this would be such a great guy to have on the podcast for you guys to get to hear from him. He has a very gentle, compassionate, though very definite approach to coaching young people. And he has written about all of that in his new book, Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis, Compete, Learn, Honor. So I'm thrilled to be able to bring Coach Peter Scales to you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with him, and I hope that you will share this podcast and all of our episodes with anyone and everyone in your junior and college tennis circles. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Peter Scales. Peter Scales, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, glad to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, talking with you. Well, as I mentioned in the intro to this week's episode, you and I have been communicating for a while. We actually had the opportunity to meet live and in person, which doesn't happen all that often for me, but we got to meet at the WTCA conference at the U.S. Open in uh, September, and we've been communicating back and forth, and I'm so thrilled to finally have the opportunity to have you on and to give you the chance to share your thoughts about tennis and tennis development and coaching tennis with the Parenting Aces audience. Oh, well, thanks, Lisa. I mean, you run a great site and it's a great service and um, I'm glad to be able to contribute uh, whatever I can. Fantastic. Well, let's jump right into this thing and have you give our audience a little bit of your tennis story. How did you get connected in the sport and what are you doing right now? Well, I uh, I was a very late bloomer. Uh, I came to the sport at age 42. Uh, I, I, I talked with a pro the other day, said, you know, I started late at 15 and I said, you know, you, you haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> 42 for me and I didn't become a teaching pro until 52. Um, but my, my wife was my first teacher and uh, I'd always been, you know, an athlete, um, judo, basketball, table tennis. So, you know, I did a lot of, a lot of things that transfer mentally transfer strategically physically technically to tennis but i just picked up a tennis racket a couple of times 
uh, over my life, just uh, hitting the ball around, but never had a lesson, never really gave it uh, time. And I fell in love with it at 42. And just my wife was wondering uh, at times um, why I was smiling so much. She thought I was, you know, it was sunny out and I was trying to squint in the sun, but I was actually (laughs) grinning ear to ear because I was having so much fun. And I, right from the get-go, I wanted to learn more and more. And and it just kind of led to becoming, you know, a halfway decent player. I wasn't great. Uh, I was better than average. Um, but it, it it led me down a path of of just wanting to learn more, and that produced the desire to learn how to teach it. And so I started studying, and uh, kind of ended up got my USPTA certification at age sixty two. I've uh, been coaching high school tennis uh, since 2008, boys and girls, and uh, just just loving it. I, I still love it. Uh, I'm only part-time doing that because I'm still uh, a research psychologist, um, PhD, and, and that's that's come in very handy in, in working with teenagers um, over the years, uh, but I, I, I love it. I, I have a passion for it, and it, it hasn't gone down over the years. It's increased. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I mean, you are a student that is part and parcel of your whole being as evidenced by the fact that you do hold a PhD and you enjoy learning. And I think it's so cool that you've brought that joy of learning to our sport and are now passing that along and have been passing that along to the kids that you work with. I just, I love that. Yeah. It's um, one of the things that we, we do, we have a motto that is the subtitle of, of my book, compete, learn, honor. And the learn part is, is really simple. I, I want them to be humble, uh, curious, open learners, always looking to learn. Um, you know, the, the, root, the root word of student, whether it's the Greek or Latin or French, is, is to grow. It's about growing. And, and so, you know, um, Andre Agassi at the recent USPTA World Conference in Vegas said, when somebody asked him uh, about longevity and coaching, he said, you know, the day you stop learning is the day you should stop coaching. So it, it's not just for players that you, you need to keep learning. Um, look at the best in the world. They're, they're continuing to tweak and learn and experiment every day. But coaches have to, too. Um, and, and not just have to, you should want to. If, if you're not wanting to continue learning and expanding and, and being curious, uh, about the next thing, of the, the many paths that you could take in, in increasing your knowledge in tennis, then, yeah, what Agassi said, what are you doing out there on the court? Because you cannot give that infectious joy uh, for the sport and growing in the sport unless you're trying to do it yourself. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that whole notion of daily growth, daily learning is part and parcel of 
every page of your book, <laughs> Mental and Emotional <laughs> Training for Tennis. Um, I, I found it so interesting and heartwarming, really, to to read the book and your passion for learning comes through on every page. I, I and that's that's an unusual kind of feeling for me to have as a reader a lot of times, mm-hmm. especially when I'm reading tennis related articles and books and you know different things that I get my hands on. Um, I find that a lot of coaches, aren't so interested in learning as much as they are interested in telling others all the stuff they already know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, that, that's a trap that we can fall into. And I, and I think um, I fell into that trap when I was, um, I don't want to say a young coach because I wasn't young, but developmentally I was, you know, in my early years as a coach, um, I, I, I made the mistake that most new coaches do, which is was exactly to share everything I knew with my players. <laughs> in five minutes, right? In Just spew minutes. it all out. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, I, and expect I, them to, to internalize it and then demonstrate it to you. Lisa, I can see you've got a dozen things wrong with your serve and we're going to work on all of them today. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and here's why we're going to, yeah. Uh, so I've, I've learned to, to shut up a little bit more and, and listen more and watch more and learning from other coaches, um, the best coaches in the world, um, don't say as much as beginning coaches mm-hmm. and they pick their spots. They pick their words carefully. Um, they demonstrate more talk less. Um, so, you know, I've tried to do that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the joy of, of learning, um, of just, you know, one of the slogans in the book, one of the mental and emotional habits that I coach my players to develop is to, you know, love the battle, which is, you know, from Jim Lair, um, but love the battle and solve the puzzle. Because every tennis match is a puzzle to solve. Sometimes you are the puzzle, you know, and you have to solve yourself that day. Some some days you're you're okay with yourself, and your opponent uh, is is the puzzle that you've got to solve. But you've got to approach it as I love solving the puzzle. I love not having the answer immediately. I love not having a six zero six zero easy match. Because that's not challenging. It's not interesting. It doesn't, you know, really help me a whole lot. But if I have to work at figuring out what's going on and how to adjust and adapt today to the conditions, to the opponent, to whatever baggage and strengths I'm bringing to the court that day, uh, man, that's a that's a an exciting, um, interesting couple hours. Uh, right. So that. That's how I want them to approach it. And that's all part and parcel of trying to take the emphasis off winning and losing and more about enjoying solving the puzzle out there. Right. I want to just throw out that, you know, I, I hope that my listeners will stick around for this episode 
after hearing that you are a high school tennis coach. And the reason I'm saying this, Peter, is that high school tennis is often the, you know, poor stepchild of elite tennis players or, you know, elite junior development programs. Um, We hear a lot of junior coaches telling kids that playing high school tennis is a waste of time, that college coaches don't care if you play high school tennis, they don't look at high school tennis. And I want to just reinforce the fact that one, the information that you're going to be sharing with us over the course of this episode is so valuable to every single developing tennis player, whether they are junior recreational players, junior elite players, or adults. And Mm -hmm. the fallacy that high school tennis isn't important because I hear from college coaches all the time that they love seeing high school tennis on a, a potential recruits resume. It gives them confidence that this is a kid that understands what it means to be part of a a team, to be part of something bigger than just themselves. And so I I just, I wanted to throw that out to the audience because I, I think even though you are quote, just a high school tennis coach, you bring an approach to development and coaching that is unique and that is very valuable for every single player out there. Oh, well, well, thank you. And, and, and you said exactly what I was going to say. So I don't know what to add to that, Lisa. <laughs> you know, the value of high school tennis. But, you know, and, and, and I'm actually a step down because most of what I do is with the JV players. You know, I work with the varsity players, too. But my primary responsibility is with the JV players. And I love that um, mm-hmm. because they they are um, they're the future. They're the pipeline coming, you know, hopefully coming up, not just for varsity at high school, but to play uh, at a collegiate level, uh, some level collegiately. And, you know, the, the the bottom line being playing for the rest of your life, being connected to the sport and all that it does for you physically, mentally, socially um to to help you be a better person and a more satisfied a happier person so it's not just the short term of how high school um tennis experience can prepare you to be a better college teammate it's it's taken the longer view and and how it can be a really important part of your life for the rest of your life that really makes your life better um we had a uh, uh one of our players who um, graduated a couple of years ago uh, is now at a D1 school. He was state champ four years in a row. He never lost a match. He never lost a set. It was just phenomenal. Um, and he had to make the decision about whether to, after his first year, whether to play um, high school tennis. He had won the state championship, so okay, check that box, done that. Um, but by being in high school tennis in, in our state of Missouri, um, and most states, he, he had a limitation on the number of tournaments that he could play um, during the season. And 
you know, that that could bring your ranking down during the season. Right. And he chose uh, the high school experience because it was so much fun. He enjoyed being part of a team culture and and helping the team get better uh, and being a part of that and not being just the star wherever he went, even though he was a star, but he could also be just one of the guys. And, you know, when he went to college, uh, just as you were saying, um, what he said is that was one of the most important things that prepared him for D1 tennis was being on a team and, and having the coaching experience, not just a pro experience, but the coaching experience in a team context. Um, nothing like it. So, right. yes, there is some short-term sacrifice in terms of your ranking during the season. But here's a guy who won four state championships in a row and full ride D1. Um, it, it worked. <laughs> it didn't yeah. hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a shame that some of the state high school athletic associations do put those limitations on these kids, because I think it's really unfortunate that they are forced into making a choice like that. Um, They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be, but that's a podcast for another day, I guess. Um, let's let's jump into your book, Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis, Compete, Learn, Honor. I want to just say up front before I give you back the mic that one of the biggest takeaways I got from this book was the whole notion of giving your all every time you step out on the court. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't give your all, you reduce or even eliminate the learning opportunity that you just had. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I make the point in the book that a coach, a pro can, you know, help you in, in countless ways if you've given everything. But if you've held back either consciously or unconsciously, if you played games with yourself and made excuses for, you know, the fact that you're not playing your A game that day and suddenly you're blaming it on the wind or whatever. Um, if you go even further and, and, and actually tank to, to try and save face, well, you know, it, I, I could have won if I tried, but I wasn't even trying. So, you know, it doesn't count. And you do any of those things, and I can't help you. I can't help you. Um, but if you gave it everything, uh, you played to the, the best of your ability that day uh, under those conditions against that opponent, um, we've got tons of things we can work on. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it goes back to, um, you know, Rafa was asked after the U.S. Open this year, Right. He just won his 19th and they were trying to get him to say how much it mattered to him that maybe he'd end his career being the the guy with the most grand slams among the men. And he said, that's not why I play. I I play because I love playing tennis. Um, And he said the happiness comes not from the trophies and the winning and, you know, even the money. The, the happiness comes from the satisfaction 
of knowing you gave your best. And, and you know, that just says it so beautifully. That's enduring. Wins, losses, they're very fleeting. You know, mm-hmm. here today, gone tomorrow. And if, if all you're focused on is the win, um, you're going to be uh, unhappy very quickly. Jim Lehrer, you know, in, in his book, The Only Way to Win, you know, is uh, talking with um, business entrepreneurs, um, celebrity artists and musicians, you know, high achieving people, as well as high achieving um, pro sport uh, athletes. And and he he made drew the conclusion in in working um, as not just a, a coach but as a as a therapist <laughs> with with some of these very high achieving folks that the ones who were focused on achieving 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 um, gradually like a drug had to had to have bigger and better achievements to get the same level of satisfaction and eventually some sooner some later they couldn't be satisfied at all in their lives which is what drove them to gym um and, and they were always looking for the next achievement high so when you think that in any given week in a tournament only one singles player and two doubles players are gonna not lose <laughs> you know? right. everything else is gonna lose and most of us uh, who are just playing, you know, at like at a high school level or college level, we're we're losing intra-squad matches. We're losing against other schools. It's not just tournaments when we're losing. So w- losing is a pretty frequent experience. And if you can't find the joy in the game, and it's not easy. I, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish here. It's not easy. You have to work at at these mental and emotional strengthening habits uh it doesn't just come with a snap of the finger and okay i'm deciding i'm going to be mentally strong you've got to rehearse it you've got to practice it but if you do you can train yourself to focus on the process and on the joy and not on the outcome you know you mentioned wtca that we were at um and and we both heard heard billy jean king there talk about and she said this story in other forms too but we heard it there um about her her parents and that they would never ask did you win it was always how did it go today and when Billie Jean would say well you know I lost (laughs) so it didn't go great (laughs) and she was upset and not feeling good about herself and the world in general and her dad would say, did you try, ask her, did you try your best? Well, of course I tried my best, but I lost anyway. Well, that's okay. If you tried your best, that's good enough. We can move on from there. But again, if you didn't give it your all, we have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, enforcing that lesson or reinforcing that lesson of giving your all every time you go on the court it's a really tough thing to do. And as the parent observer, you know, sitting at a tournament match or a school match, sometimes it may appear as if our child is not giving his or her best out there when in fact they are. And I think sometimes we're quick to make a judgment 
not in our child's best interest, that then leads to additional conflict once the match is over and starts a pretty vicious cycle. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we as parents can be more objective and be more, I guess, trusting of our children Mm-hmm. to give their best every time they step foot on the court. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I mean, I think a lot of this is similar, um, similar strategies for the player as as well as for the parent. And it, you know, I, I give, for example, um, self-assessments at the beginning of the season. And it's part of goal setting. And um, so we have the players rate their strengths and areas where they feel they need, you know, significant development, um, both, you know, on the technical strategic side and the mental emotional side. Um, and so we start with that. But the reality uh, is, and we have to communicate this uh, to parents as well as players, that what you put down as a strength at the beginning of the season may be, in fact, one of your strong points on the average. But on any given day, practice or match, um, you may not have it that day. You know, we, we often hear when we when we watch tennis on TV, the commentator will say, you know, she's finding out a way to win uh, when she's not playing her best. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's... You have an A game, then you have a, a plan B, plan C, plan D. That's all because uh, our strengths are not always our strengths 100% of the time, 100% of the matches we play. It, it, on any given day, um, that strength might be a weakness that day. I may be stepping in too close to my forehand, not creating enough space today for whatever reason. So my forehand has become a liability when normally I could dictate points with that. I have to be able to observe that and make the adjustment. Um, and, and so part of the, the having trust is for players and parents to both understand that you're going to go up and down in the course of a match, not just day to day, but from game to game, set to set, point to point. Um, you don't stay at the same ability level. Uh, and 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 that's okay. That's normal. And so that gets back again to part of what you're cheering for for your son or daughter uh, isn't the outcome, but for them to be eyes wide open, um, heart open to the objective truth as much as they can perceive it during the match, and being clear enough. Uh, to to think about the puzzle instead of immediately going to self-judgment, which, you know, uh, or judgment of your player. The other thing that, so it's one is, is really encouraging them to understand that your, your strengths go up and down constantly. So be ready for that. And that's okay. And part of the fun is adjusting. Um, the second part is, uh, when you are, when you're in that position uh, of adjusting, uh, you're, you, the joy is in that part of it. That's the match. 
that's the contest. It, it's all of the, I'm going to make an adjustment. My opponent's going to make an adjustment. I'm going to adjust to that. And the one who adjusts best at the end is, is the one who's going to win. And, and the winning is an outcome. The, the, the match is all of the adjusting. That's the match. Um, so focus on that. Okay. Uh, critical thing for parents. I do this with my players. They have to hear. Uh, they need words. They have to hear that what I think of you um, has nothing to do with whether you win or lose. I love you whether you win or lose. I want you to give your all out there. But I love you. You know, that's mm-hmm. not going to change. I, I mean, I've said that to my players during changeovers, bringing them over to the fence when they're having a tough day. And we don't talk sometimes about strategy and certainly not about technical stuff during a match because that's not usually very helpful. Um, but I, I often just say something like, you know, I love you no matter what. And they laugh and, <laughs> oh, Coach Pete loves us. Um, but it relaxes them and it reassures them that, you know, mistakes and losing that's all part of the game that's part of you it doesn't that's not defining who you are period so the last thing that parents can do and that coaches have to do um, is adopt a different time frame for judging yourself Um, i'm a psychologist so i'm not going to tell people don't worry we worry about things i'm not going to tell you don't judge yourself. We judge ourselves. And there is a level at which that's okay because you're, you're yardsticking yourself against where you want to go, right? Your goals, right? your progress. So you have to have some judgment. I actually make a little wording change and a time frame change. Uh, I call that evaluation, okay? It's okay to evaluate yourself. It's not okay to judge yourself. And the time frame that you can work on adopting as a player, as a parent, as a coach is I'm not evaluating you on every stroke, every point. I'm not doing that. Um, I'm evaluating you over a whole practice or a week of practice, over several matches. Um, That doesn't mean we're not paying attention to things. But I'm not drawing conclusions quickly uh, and and forcing um, small data, you know, up one shot and then, you know, I'm a terrible player or, oh, my goodness, she can't hit a backhand because she shanked one, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So change. I'm not going to tell you not to judge yourself, but. Call it evaluate yourself and change your, t- your frame of reference from every stroke to start out with maybe every other day you're allowed to, <laughs> to evaluate yourself and work up to longer time frames so that you get more and more comfortable um, simply playing. You know, Jeff Greenwald, uh, the great uh, mental toughness guy, wrote um, how to play the best tennis of your life. Um, has this great, um, great thing in advice where he says, look, just flow and hit. Hit without worrying about whether it's going in or out. 
And that is very hard for us to do. Now, obviously, you're going to start doing that in practice because you have to develop that confidence and that that muscle memory, that feel of trusting that you can just loose, be loose and whippy and hit the ball, you know, um, without worrying, is it going in or out? And eventually, if you do that enough in practice, it will transfer to the match situation. Um, and that's the state that you want to be in when you're playing. But you can't do that if you're constantly judging yourself. Yeah, I mean, and it's tough because as parents, we can't be inside the head of our kid when they're out there competing, right? All we can do right. is make judgments based on our observations and our historical observations of our children. And it's a hard lesson to learn to avoid doing that in the moment and avoid kind of confronting the child after the match with a message of really mistrust when mm -hmm. we say, you know, well, I was watching the match. You were not trying out there. You were not giving it your all. Well, we don't know that. We have no way to know that. And exactly. it just sets up confrontation. And it's it's usually not a positive confrontation. <laughs> it's usually pretty ugly, especially right yeah. after a loss. So I, you know, I think watching matches is so difficult. It it doesn't get any easier. I easier, I will say, though when my son was playing in college, I was able to let go a little bit more because I understood that this was the end of his competitive career. You know, this was the, this was the last step. And so it was all about the joy of competition. It wasn't about winning so that he would qualify for the next level, the next level, the next level, like it is all throughout junior tennis. Right. But I think, you know, your whole idea of letting go of results, it's it's easy to say that, but it's so difficult to do as a player and as a parent. And, you know, there's so much in the junior development process that relies on results, like getting into the next level of tournament or qualifying for the next team event or whatever it is. And so it's all well and good to say, let's not be results oriented, but the reality of competitive sports is it's results oriented. And well, so and we, yeah. we have to learn how to manage that, I think. And that's where I found your book so helpful was giving us ways to help manage that. That's, that's it. And you know, again, you you uh, kind of anticipated where I was going, um, and and what you just said, um, because in the same way that it's completely unrealistic to tell someone who's worrying, well, stop worrying. Yeah, they're not going to do that. It's completely unre unrealistic to say, don't think about results. Of of course, we think about results. So, yeah, as you pointed out, my book is it's not about uh, avoiding thinking about results or pretending that results don't matter, they do. What it is, is understanding, truly believing 
that there is a different pathway to the results you want than being consumed by the results. That's the difference. It, the process, uh, you know, James Clear, um, who wrote the bestseller Atomic Habits, a great book. Uh, and a lot of the thesis there is something I talk about in the book, too, that very small changes, you know, that you make can produce really big differences in your results. Um, but one of the things that uh, that he points out is we, we all have most of us have similar goals. Um, people who win the tournament uh, didn't have a unique goal. Everybody who entered the tournament had a goal of winning the tournament. So it isn't just right. about whether you have goals or the right goals. We we all have those goals. It's what systems did you put in place to help you reach those goals? Mm-hmm. Which is just another way of saying the attending to the process. You know, how how did you condition yourself? You know, what was your nutrition and sleep schedule before the tournament? How did you run your practices? And I say run because even if you have a pro or a coach, as a player, I keep telling my players, your tennis business, you're the CEO of your tennis business. I'm an advisor to you, but you're the one who's making the choices, the decisions every day about, you know, how you're taking care of yourself. What you're, how you're studying about tennis, um, how you're emotionally feeling and training yourself to feel, uh, you know, the, the level of competition that you seek, all of these things you're making choice. So you're the, you're the boss of your own tennis business. Uh, so you've got to set up the systems, the process, um, because as Clear says, um, you, you are, you get what you repeat. And if you repeat sloppy practice, sloppy eating habits, um, training habits, um, you're going to play sloppy. And, you know, (laughs) if if you're disciplined, um, you're going to have, in all those ways, you're going to have a better chance of playing to your best level on a particular day when we all we have whatever level is our best for that day. Um, you have a better chance of reaching that. And if you have a better chance of reaching that, you have a better chance of winning. So that's how, yeah, we, we're, we're training to win. We want to win. Um, we, we're, we're competing in order to have that result, not in order to lose. Um, but the, you know, the Zen of it is the best way to get to the wins is not to focus on the wins, but to focus on the systems and the processes that get you there. Mm-hmm. And, you know? and so your whole motto, compete, learn, honor. And I, I, it's funny that it's in that order on the cover of your book, but really honor goes between all of them, right? It's compete, right. honor, learn, honor, and, it all makes a big circle, right? Right. And honor being at the, at the center. Explain honor to us. What does that mean to you? And how do you impart that concept to the kids that you work with? Um, it's the first thing. Honor is the foundation for the whole season. Uh, even though we, 
we we write them in the order of compete, learn, honor because we're we're trying to help the players learn how to compete. Um, we start out teaching honor, um, and that is going beyond self-interest. Um, what's worthy of respect is when you go beyond your self-interest and your growth as a player, uh, caring about others, behaving in a way that brings credit not just to you, but to your family, your teammates, uh, your school, your opponents, your coaches, and the game of tennis. Um, loving the game more than how you perform. Uh, realizing, as you said earlier in this conversation, it's something bigger than you. The game is bigger than you. And if you can adopt that uh, approach, uh, that attitude, um, then you will have the humility that allows you to be open to learning. And if you're open to learning, you're going to have better progress in all the things you need to compete at whatever your highest level is. So the way I look at it, without focusing on honorable, honorable behavior, um, not just in you know, giving the line calls to your opponent, the benefit of the doubt to your opponent, um, but caring about your, your teammates uh, more than what your rank on the team is uh, or your playing time, um, you know, what you, what you can do, uh, what did you do today to, to help a teammate um, be better um, on or off the tennis court? Um, you're, you're a team member. I mean, that's another value of high school tennis, the way we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really, it really forces you to, to care about something other than yourself and uh, to care about your teammates, your coaches. Um, and by extension, um, we can help them learn to care about their opponent. Uh, the opponent is not your enemy. They're your partner. They're your collaborator. Um, you want your opponent. This is this is honorable too. This is another example. You don't want your opponent to double fault at five all forty all. You know you want your opponent to hit a great serve so that you have to hit a great return, and you're both then being able to extend and elevate and and play to the best of your ability that day. You know you don't want them to tank. You don't want them to double fault. Um, Man, sometimes I do. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when, it, when it's match point, yes, okay, double fault, I'm going to go, whew, okay, got that one. Check. Yeah. But, but in the longer, longer term scheme of things, I don't want the players thinking that way. You know, I right. want them to be grateful for a tough opponent. When they ask me, this team we're playing tomorrow, are they tough? And my answer is always, every opponent is tough. That's how it should be. Period. Yeah. Every opponent yeah. does want the want the opponent to play well, so that you have to play well too. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Well, sort of. <laughs> I, I I have a You're very totally vivid. Kidding. You're not totally kidding. Well, exactly. I have a very vivid memory of sitting at one of my son's matches, and I don't remember if it, I I think it was a twelves match, twelve and unders, at a tournament in Atlanta, and his coach was there, and I was sitting with the coach, and it was the first time that the coach had watched him play. He was new with this coach and, you know, it was the first time the coach had watched him play a tournament match. And so I was sitting there and, and it was, 
match point for my son. The opponent was serving and I was muttering under my breath, double fault, double fault, double fault. (laughs) And the coach turned to me and he said, you do not want him to win with his opponent double faulting. That is not a good way to win a tennis match. And I said, well, I kind of do. <laughs> I kind of just want it to be over. <laughs> and the coach, you know, reprimanded me very firmly in the moment and, and lesson learned. I, I, you know, I, I understood what he was telling me. I will say I still secretly wished for double faults sometimes, but <laughs> I did get the lesson. <laughs> Lisa, we're, we're, none of us are perfect. <laughs> perfect oh, now? Come on. <laughs> You know, but here's the other point, though, about that. Um, if if you're if you're actually wishing as as the player, not not just the parent uh, under her breath saying double fault, double fault, please. Um, but if you as the player are doing that, you're making yourself unready. You're True. you're making yourself weaker in that moment. That's absolutely the worst thing to do. Um, I love um, Alistair McCaw, the the great trainer uh, said that uh, that a great clarification that he made about habits, you know, because my book is all about developing these things as habits. Mm -hmm. And his point was under pressure, uh, you don't rise to the level of your skills. You rise to the level of your worst habit, which I thought was fantastic. You rise to the level of your worst habit under pressure. So if you haven't practiced under pressure, um, trying to convince yourself that you don't want them to double fault, <laughs> that you do want them to hit a good serve, um, then when that moment of pressure comes, you might fall victim to saying, please double fall. And all that says is, I'm not confident. I'm not ready. You know? And so we, you know, we acknowledge that, yes, there's a part of us as human beings that would take double faulting, sure. Um, but as a coach, <laughs> I I don't want my players to train that way. I want them to train to get themselves to believe that um, it's it's better for everybody. It's honorable for the game and for them and the opponent, respecting the opponent, for them to wish for the opponent to play well, so that they have to play well. Yeah, I, and I mean, I I totally get that, and I agree with you. And I, that's one of the things I love so much about this sport is that how good a match is depends on both players. It's not one player playing well and the other player playing terribly. It's a much right. better match if both players are playing well, and it's much more exciting to watch. You know, from a fan standpoint, I think it's better for the sport, the business of the sport, when both players are playing well, um, you know, the business of the sport gets really irritated when somebody tanks a match at the professional level, you know, it's, it's so um, I, I do get that and agree with it. And I, I don't know, just this whole notion of honor and the way that you incorporate that into your coaching, I think is just, it's, I mean, this sounds really mushy, but it's heartwarming to me. And I think it's something that we've gotten away from in our sport, especially with our kids and, you know, teaching the honor of the sport. And 
the whole idea of honoring your opponent and respecting your opponent. And if you respect your opponent, there's no way you're going to tank a match. There's no way you're going to make a bad line call. And, you know, these are things that sadly are not always being taught in today's game. Well, yes. And I mean, I think, thank goodness there are so many countervailing um, voices, um, not just in tennis, but across sports who, and you've had some folks on your podcast, you know, who, who have the same message that, that I have. Um, and we've got groups like the Positive Coaching Alliance, you know, uh, out there. Uh, and talking about all this, uh, but it, it's a cultural thing. That's why it's so hard. Um, it's, it's hard to be honorable when, you know, the, the winning and losing is, is the first thing that's headlined, you know? Right. Uh, right. It's, it's, so it's a cultural thing. It it isn't a character flaw for a player or a parent to be focused on the winning and the losing, because that's how, that's how we're all brought up in, in, in this culture. Um, so it, it's, it's not, it's not our fault, <laughs> But that doesn't mean that we can't do something about it. And and so, you know, that's, again, what I keep telling the players is all of this is a choice. You're, you're choosing um, what to do, what to believe, what to practice, what to rehearse, um, what to care about, what to prioritize. Um, and the whole, uh, the, the, the whole responsibility that you have is to make those choices in a way that um, maximize your safety, maximize your growth, maximize your fun, maximize your learning, maximize your um, uh, being a great teammate and 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 bringing credit to your your team and your coaches and your family and your school and the game. Um, and oh, by the way, um, you know, hopefully we win as well. Uh, but <laughs> those are those are all the priorities, right? You establish your your schedule and your training and your studying and your commitments. Um, one of your recent guests said, you know, are, are they living the sport? I love that. Um, you know, are you arranging your life as the CEO of your tennis business? Um, to to maximize all those things. If you are, then you've given yourself the best chance at winning. You can't control whether you win uh, a match or not. You, that's not under your total control. But all that other stuff, uh, the systems, uh, what James Clear calls the systems, um, yeah, that's under your control. You can control that. So let's focus on that. And that will ironically get us more of the thing we can't control, which is the winning. Right. Right. Yeah. Control the controllables. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's it. Well, Peter, tell us how we can get your book, Mental and Emotional Training for Tennis, Compete, Learn, Honor. And we do have um, a, a discount code for Parenting Aces Premium members and our Patreon patrons, which you have graciously offered. So thank you for that. And 
The link for that discount code will be in the show notes. And again, that is only available to Parenting Aces premium members and Patreon patrons. But where can everyone get your book and read it and learn from it? Uh, it's available at uh, Amazon, uh, coacheschoice.com. It's also on the USPTA um, uh, Pro Shop, their website. And you can find out more about me uh, at my USPTA website, uh, which is coachpetescales.uspta.pro.com. Awesome. And we will have links to all of that in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So be sure to check those out. Coach Pete Scales, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast, for sharing your insights, your coaching knowledge, your compassion and passion for the game of tennis. And best of luck to your kids in this coming season. Oh, well, thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me on and uh, for all the great stuff you're doing with Parenting Aces and your passion that shines through every every bit of the site. (laughs) (laughs) I know know your followers love it. And uh, so just thanks for doing all you do and and for having me on on the podcast. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.